Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast that breaks down lesser-known New Hampshire legislation. Over the years, we've talked about weather experiments, raw milk ice cream, hobby distilling, and embalming requirements. With roughly 1,000 bills each year in New Hampshire, you can bet there's been a debate about just about anything you can think of. We'll give you the unbiased facts, pros and cons, and tell you how to make your voice heard in the legislative process. I'm Mike Dunbar, content editor for Citizens Count. And I'm Anna Brown, director of research and analysis for Citizens Count. I chose today's topic because I decided I wanted to learn more about laws on playgrounds. Always go feet first down the slide, always take turns, and don't stand on the swings. And don't hang upside down on the monkey bars. Of course, none of those are actually in state law. What caught my eye was a bill that would require solid, rubber-like playground pathways so that people with mobility issues can join in the fun. Today, we're talking about HB 467. Okay, but doesn't federal law already require accessibility in public places? The short answer is yes. The Federal Americans with Disabilities Act, known as the ADA, already requires new playgrounds to provide wheelchair-accessible pathways. However, Wyndham, Exeter, and other towns have discovered their new playgrounds are accessible to wheelchairs on paper, but not in practice. These playgrounds use engineered wood fiber products that are supposed to provide a firm, stable surface for wheelchairs. These products are even certified to comply with the ADA. Nevertheless, Granite Staters report their wheelchairs are going nowhere. There were a few parents and also a kid who showed up to testify for HB 467, and they talked about how their wheelchairs get stuck after just a few feet. They had pretty compelling stories. And one of those parents, Joseph Papalardo, worked with Representative Caitlin Kutab, a Republican from Wyndham, to sponsor a bill that would require any new public playground to include accessible pathways made from rubber or a similar solid surface like that from the entrance of the playground to each piece of playground equipment. That bill is waiting for a final vote in the House. Okay, but I'm a little confused. If federal law already requires accessible pathways and these towns are using materials certified to comply with federal law, what's going wrong? Okay, according to Representative Katab, there are several problems with these wood products. The wood fiber is displaced as children run around, it can disintegrate after taking a beating from New England weather, and it's supposed to be regularly raked and leveled, but Katab couldn't name a town where this maintenance actually takes place. She also found out it would cost Wyndham roughly half a million dollars to fix the inaccessible surface on their new elementary school playground. Okay, so then the argument is basically that these products might work in some places, but they definitely aren't working in New Hampshire, so we need a state-specific solution. That's a fair summary. This also seems like a good time to point out that this wouldn't only benefit children in wheelchairs, it would also help parents with strollers, teachers in wheelchairs, and anyone else with a mobility issue who wants to access a public playground. Absolutely. But the bill doesn't have unanimous support. Jason Stock, executive director of the New Hampshire Timberland Owners Association, spoke against HB 467 at the Senate hearing. He argued there's an important difference between engineered wood fiber products and wood chips or bulk march, which he admitted are bad for wheelchairs. The owner of a lumber company also testified that if these surfaces are raked and properly maintained, wheelchairs should be able to roll. All right. I'm also remembering being on the swing set as a kid and how the best thing to do would be to catapult yourself off once you got going as fast as you could and see how far you could fly until you landed in the mulch. But I'm kind of imagining it would be a lot more painful to land on rubber. Okay, that actually came up in the hearing. And and this was the sort of weird playground stuff that I wanted to learn about. There's a term attenuation that basically describes the ability of a surface to absorb the impact of a falling child. Supporters of the wood products noted that they're safe for a fall up to 20 feet. I love that they were actually like testing stuff like that. That totally makes sense. 
How does rubber compare, though? So no one discussed the exact numbers on rubber, but that's partly because the way the bill is written. You wouldn't have to use rubber, just a solid surface that otherwise meets safety requirements that isn't loose fill or aggregate. And I'm sure that any rubber product that is being used on a playground, they're also testing, which I would also love to see sometimes. Are they using like crash test dummies? It could be a whole other podcast. Exactly. Also, some of these surfaces are probably more environmentally friendly than others, I would imagine. No doubt. That also came up. And and once again, the argument was basically, all right, well, if you don't like a surface, we're not saying what surface you have to use, but it needs to be solid. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so what are the next steps then for HB 467? The Senate slightly changed the language in HB 467. So the House has to vote on this new language before the bill heads to Governor Sununu. If you support a state requirement for solid rubber-like pathways on playgrounds, or if you believe the state should find a different solution, reach out to your state representative and share your opinion. You can find who represents you at citizenscount.org slash elected officials. All right. I know that that sounds like we've arrived at our closing segment only in New Hampshire. So Anna, what do you have for us? A lot of times we try to find a tie into the bill we're talking about, but I wasn't that clever this time. Instead, I want to share a story from the Great Depression. Shout out to the New Hampshire Historical Society. That's where I found this. In 1931, New Hampshire Governor John G. Winnett created a commission to come up with a plan on how the state could support a home industry program, which is a fancy way of talking about the production and sale of handcrafts like baskets and rugs. The idea was to provide low-income residents with a way to supplement their income, especially after most of the mills and factories in New Hampshire closed down. This in turn led to the creation of the League of New Hampshire Arts and Crafts. New Hampshire was in fact the first state to provide government funding for the crafts. The organization was renamed the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen in the 60s, and to this day, you can go to their multi-day annual craft fair. So I thought this was an interesting story, since I've heard a lot about the Public Works Administration and other New Deal programs that were funded by the federal government during the Depression. But this was the first time I heard about a state-run program particularly focused on the crafts. And I find myself wondering how a program like that might go over today, like during the 2008 Great Recession or something like that. So... Not only, surprisingly, did I know about the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen, I actually have some firsthand experience with them. So first, my dad, before he retired, was a professional woodworker, so he definitely had involvement with them. But also, I am a a musician, as we know from the outro of this show, where I- You're a super big deal. Mentioned that I uh, do the intro. Yep, super big deal. Um, And I've played gigs at the League of New Hampshire Craftsmen annual fair before. So That's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's a lot lot of uh, connection here for me. (laughs) Yeah, and so go New Hampshire in terms of our arts and crafts. It's it's not just a, a subject for day camps. It is also a booming, bustling industry that at one point had government involvement. So you just never know. You never know. Truly. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of $100 Plus Mileage, but you can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music, as mentioned, is composed by me, Mike Dunbar. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people for the people.